on, on, on last week, I mentioned, because I see a lot of little feet in here, I mentioned that we are in the process of beginning our kids' ministry. So instead of me talking about it today, I'm going to introduce to you the one who has given leadership to it, Ms. Rebecca Henderson. Is it on? Oh, there we go. Great. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Yes, yeah, so I'm Rebecca Henderson, um, and I'm the Director of Communications and Kids Ministry here at Reconciliation. And I am so excited for August 29th because that is when our kids ministry starts up. So our mission for our kids ministry is to partner with families um, to give kids a multi-ethnic and empowering gospel-centered community where they can know and grow with the Lord and learn to be a part of their local church. Um, a few quick facts. We'll be using the Dwell curriculum, uh, and I'll be sending out a copy of it to parents later this week, and I'll also be sending out more information on some of our procedures and child safeguarding policies. We'll be starting with weekly classes for toddlers and preschoolers, and classes on the first and third Sundays for elementary schoolers. Elementary schoolers will receive um, a sermon notes worksheet on off weeks. We'll be setting up classrooms and a check-in area on the far side of the lobby, down near the bathrooms, and kids will be dropped off before service. But before any of this can happen, there is a crucial need that we have, and that is volunteers. So our children's ministry volunteers are a vital part of Reconciliation's outreach to the littlest of God's people. What they are doing is a really big deal, loving and equipping Reconciliation families to know and experience the gospel, and we want to make sure our volunteers realize both the gravity of what they are doing and the gratefulness we have for the work they do. But I don't want to scare anyone away who worries they don't know enough about teaching or kids to volunteer. Um, we'll be providing all our volunteers with curriculum and policy training so that they feel equipped and ready for the task before them. Additionally, it's really important that parents are involved in their kids' ministry and their spiritual lives at Reconciliation. We'll be sending out weekly emails um, about what your child is learning or will be learning. And I also want to encourage parents here with kids in children's ministry to serve as a volunteer so that you can better understand what your child is learning and you can also help other children learn too. So Reconciliation Church, I want to invite each one of you to serve in our children's ministry. We're asking volunteers to commit to serving once or twice a month for the school year and you'll need to attend one of those two trainings listed on the back of your worship guide in order to serve. So to get this ball rolling, um, please fill out the interest form on the back of your worship guide. If you have any questions, please ask me. I'll be hanging around after the service. And we can't do kids ministry without each one of you. So thank you. I hope y'all feel that weight like I feel it. But no, thank you, Rebecca, for that information. Um, she's right, it's crucial. We, we, we need to come alongside what God is doing with our kids' ministry. And I know some of you are like, I don't do kids, I don't do this, and I don't do that. But here's the thing. If, if, if you all follow the Lord Jesus Christ and a part of his local church, there is a need in our church, and we need hands on deck. We need people to serve, and we have a multiplicity of areas that we need people to serve, and this is just one area. Our kids need to 
here in their language, in their space, right where they are. And we have a curriculum for that. They need to hear about Jesus. And so we need people to step up. So I hope that you guys will reach out to Rebecca and, and, and sign up to join her in, in this new endeavor. I'm excited for it. I just can't wait till we start setting up stuff that I don't know what we're setting up. Um, kids running and, and we just, it, it may be a little crazy starting out, but you know what? I believe that God will be honored. I believe that he'll be pleased in what we're doing with our kids. I have two more announcements and then we're going to get into the word. On next Saturday, August the 14th from 9 to 1 p.m., you're going to get another email for this, but we talked about new liturgy training. We are going to kind of revamp how we are doing uh, our liturgy or our worship. And so if you are free, again, I, I, this, this training is for everybody. It doesn't mean if you come to the training that you will be one of the, of the people leading in this. But if you want to lead in this, this training is a must. The address will be listed in the email. It's actually going to be in my neighborhood. Um, but we're going to set aside some time so that we could really uh, put a liturgy in place that says this is Reconciliation Church. But more than that, we want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to be a part of that, this training is mandatory for people. It's 9 to 1 on next Saturday, and an email will go out for that. The second email I'm excited about is an opportunity for evangelism. Now, COVID kind of, it, well, it's not kind of, it hindered how much you go and interact with people and go and share your faith. But we have now an opportunity, and a brother in our church reached out to me, and I had this, I, this thought and idea and I thought it was a great opportunity for us. So on next Sunday, after service, after we, after we tear down all of this stuff, for the men, I hope all the men join me in this. Even if you feel afraid or whatever, I hope you join us after service so we'll talk about what this means going to share our faith because we want to do this together. We don't want to send people out alone. We want to go out in groups because the day we would go out and evangelize at Moore Square would be August the 21st. But I want us to come and circle up on the 15th after, after service so we can talk about what this means and how this will look. So again, if this freaks you out and you don't want to do it, feel no pressure. But I know I will be there and I know the brother who mentioned it would be there. So if it's just us two, we want to go out. Because if y'all remember, those who were here, Elliot Grudem preached. And he mentioned in passing, like, churches don't grow unless we get out and start sharing our faith. Now, this is not about making reconciliation big. This is about us obeying the Great Commission. Because the Great Commission says make disciples. Inherent in that is going out and sharing your faith. And so we want to obey. We want to obey. So August the 15th. After service, after we tear down all of this, we're going to just meet for a few minutes to talk about what this means. All right, that's enough announcements. Now I want to turn our attention to God's Word. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8, verses 10 to 21. Mark chapter 8, verses 10 to 21. And this is what Mark writes. And he immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. 
Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and went to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. Then he gave them strict orders. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. Aware of this, he said to them, why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, don't you understand yet? Let me pray for us. Father, as your word is open, I pray as Jesus posed this question, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Also, Lord God, give us hearts to obey what your word says. In Christ's name, we do ask this. Amen. I know I got some movie buffs in here, people that love to go to the movies. And when you go to the movies, they do have something called 3D movies. When you go, they hand you a pair of glasses. If you're going to watch this movie, you take those glasses. Because you need those glasses to be able to see the picture that they're going to show. But if you go and take these glasses and say, you know what, I don't need the glasses. I'm going to watch the movie without the glasses. You're going to have a problem. You're going to have a real problem. Now, you can squint your eyes. You can twist your head. You can even get on a a 45 degree angle, a 30 degree angle and lean and try to figure out, man, can I see this movie? But the truth is it will always be distorted no matter how you look. It's going to stay distorted. Why? Because you've been given a tool and you need this tool to be able to see the screen without distortions. My friends, many people today have a distorted view of God. They have a distorted view of God and the things of God. Why? Because what we see is all we see. Or we just see what's in front of us. But there also are some things to be seen that we cannot see. There are other things taking place. Uh, a sidebar, right now, I totally believe this because the scripture lets us know this. But in this gathering, there is a world in motion that's at play, that's intersecting with this physical world that you and I are living out. That's just as real as what you and I experience. But we can't see it. We can't see it with our natural eyes and our physical eyes. And many people just want to see the world from a physical standpoint. And if this is all we see, then we are not using the, the, the lenses that we have been given to view life. And this is a spiritual lens. We need to have a divine frame of reference in order to see what is really going on. See, this is the issue that we see with the Pharisees and the disciples in the text. You see, the Pharisees, they go to Jesus and they say, show us a sign. You're doing all this work. Show us that you have been stamped by God to do what you're doing. 
Show us. Give me something that I can see, touch, smell, and taste. Show me something. But Jesus wouldn't give in to it. You see, they didn't have a heavenly view of Jesus. But the disciples were no better. The disciples were no better. Like Jesus mentions the leaven of uh, the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, and all they heard was bread. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. Now, they weren't like the Pharisees, but they still had a roadblock that they could not get over. Reconciliation Church, it requires faith to follow Jesus. I'll say that again for the people in the back who may not have heard me. It requires faith to follow Jesus. You see, the, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, show us a sign. But Jesus had already shown them plenty. If you just read the Gospel of Mark, here's a leper that comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you will, I can be made clean. Jesus touched the person who was not supposed to be touched and he healed him. Right on the heels of that, a roof opens up and they lower a whole human being down through it. Jesus tells this man, son, your sins are forgiven. And they got upset. Then he says, pick up your mat and go home. He healed. Jesus flexed and he showed them that God had sent me. Jesus calls people like Matthew to follow him. And he is also hanging with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus did a multiplicity of things to show these Pharisees that God had sent him. But no matter what he did, they rejected him. My friends, we cannot come to Jesus demanding that he give us a sign, that he should give us some irrefutable proof of why we should follow him. We can't do that. See, to be a part of the kingdom of God requires faith. Always asking for signs. Okay, has, have any of you ever asked to God, for God to show you a sign? And then if he showed you that sign, then you would get behind it? How often has he done it? Right, we'd be throwing stuff out there like, God, God, show me something. If you do it, then I'm with you. You see, seeking and wanting signs removes the need to risk faith and discern what God is doing in our lives. The book of Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, Hebrews also says, the evidence of things not seen. Faith. You see, like the Pharisees, we could come to God and say, God, if you heal my family member, I'll believe. If, if, if you give me that six-figure job, I'll believe. If, if, if you remove the pain and the obstacles that my family and I are experiencing, then I will believe. Just do what I need you to do, God. And if you do it, then I'm all on board. But the only confirmation we need, Reconciliation Church, we have in Scripture. He is risen. He's risen. You're not going to find his bones in a tomb. If I needed any confirmation, it's in the scriptures, he is risen. He is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, overcoming sin, Satan, and death. He is risen. And I often feel like that man in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. 
I often feel like that man when he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I feel that way. I don't know if you do, but I feel that way. Like, God, I believe you, but I'm struggling. God, I believe you, but my life is in shambles. My life is a mess, and I can only see what I see. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. So we can be like the Pharisees, but we can also be like the disciples as well. You see, they were with Jesus, but it's like they had blinders on their eyes and cotton in their ears. They are with them, but they don't understand anything. See, but what the disciples show us is that the best of us can be mistaken about the things of God. The best of us can. So are, are, are you and I willing to admit this? That even as we come to the scriptures, as we, as we seek the Lord, that there are just some things that we don't understand. Are you willing to admit that? Are you willing to admit that there's some things that we're just ignorant about? We're no better than the disciples. So as we examine these verses, here are two things I want us to notice. The first thing I want us to notice is this, that the gospel remains hidden to those who refuse to believe. The gospel remains hidden to those who refuse to believe. The key word there is refuse. The second thing I want us to see is this, is that God's people should be distinguishable from those who don't believe. Y'all, we should look different. We're not better than, that's not what I'm saying, but we should look different. God's people should be distinguishable from those who don't believe. So today I want to title this message, The Lack of Spiritual Understanding. And so let's look at the first point that the gospel remains hidden to those who refuse to believe. In verses 11 through 13, it says, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and went to the other side. Now, verse 10 of chapter 8 informs us, the verse right before this, informs us that Jesus got into a boat with his disciples. They left Gentile territory and went to a place called Damanutha. In other words, Jesus left where the Gentiles were and then went back into Jewish territory. So what comes next are, are two stories that we need to have together. The scene with the Pharisees and one with the disciples. And when we take these two together, we are invited to consider how little both Jesus' enemies and his followers, his disciples, were able to grasp Jesus and his mission. Both of them, both groups, missed it. Who he was and is. See, the difference between the disciples and the Pharisees is that the Pharisees refused to believe. They would not. The disciples just had a, a difficult time understanding. And I thought about this, and this, is may, this may not be a, a good connection, but it's like taking an elementary school and putting them in PhD level calculus and asking that elementary school student to understand. But the reason I think it doesn't, it, it doesn't really connect because these disciples have been walking with Jesus for a while. They had seen him work but yet they still couldn't comprehend. They couldn't do it. 
when Jesus and, and, and his disciples crossed the lake, this is the Sea of Galilee, if you like topography, the Pharisees approached Jesus. They approached him, and this was a group of people who consistently opposed Jesus at every turn. Picture the scene. Jesus comes across the lake, and I don't know if the Pharisees were on the shore waiting or if they heard that Jesus and his disciples were on the way back. We don't see that, but we do know at the moment they disembarked and they got on land, here come the Pharisees. Here they come to Jesus and they say, show us a sign. Give us a sign from heaven. And the text says they only asked for this to test him. They knew that Jesus was a teacher, the, the rabbi. They, they knew that he was a healer. They couldn't dispute these things. They knew that Jesus had come and proclaimed that the kingdom of God has come near, but they saw themselves as the guardians of religious orthodoxy and practice. Jesus, you've taken our shine. People are following you. Like, they, they're not paying attention to us, they're paying attention to you. I believe that they were threatened by his popularity, among other things. So much so that they attributed his work to demonic activity. If you, go, you can go back and see that in Mark chapter 3. They said that the work that Jesus is doing is the, is the work of demons. They were hostile toward the Lord Jesus. They could not see God at work because it did not fit inside of the paradigm that they had for God. Does this happen in our day? Does this happen in your life? That... You see God work, but if he does not fit within the box that you have created, then it must not be him. Okay, y'all don't do that. I do it. And it doesn't make sense, God, because I need you to work in this way. But my friends, we can't box God in. He is uncontainable. How do I know? I'm glad you mentioned that. Because Isaiah 66 and 1 says it this way. This is what the Lord God says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where could you possibly build a house for me? And where would my resting place be? My friends, God is too big to fit with inside of the finite or the, or, or the uh, uh, concepts that we create. He's too big to try to make him fit inside of this. And the Pharisees could not and would not see the kingdom of God at work among them. They, they were just confused by it. I mean, we, we see all of this happening around us even today in this cultural moment, especially among the people of God. Things happening like, again, I, I'm, I'm not going to discuss this because I don't have the ability to or, or do I feel like I have enough knowledge to discuss it. But even when it, it talks about like CRT and these things, right, and we start putting people in categories and thinking that things have to fit inside of this category that we have. But can God work outside of those categories that we have? The Pharisees refused to believe. They refused to believe because God did not fit inside of their paradigm. And the text tells us that Jesus sighed deeply at their demand for a sign. I just picture it. It's like, man, he's just exhausted. Like, here we go again. See, they wanted Jesus to do something to show that God has sent you. It's like they came and said, now show us a sign if you're the Messiah. Free us from Roman oppression. 
Free us from Roman oppression. Give us our state back. Give us our place in society back that maybe we had when David was on the throne. Show us that you are truly the son of David. Remove these Romans that we see every day when we do our business. But Jesus wouldn't give in. The text lets us know that he sighed deeply and this means that he was grieved down in his soul at their request. He was grieved. Mark informs us that their request for a sign was not to authenticate anything. They didn't come with good intentions. They just wanted to, to discredit Jesus and his ministry. Their unbelief was on display. It was on display for all to see. So what did Jesus do? The text says he left. He left. Now this means more than just simply leaving a place. This also means disassociation. Like I'm done with you. Have you ever done that to some people? Like, you're like, all right, I'm good. I'm done with you. It's a dangerous thing when, when God, quote unquote, throws up his hands and let things be as they are. Again, it's, it's like, man, I never want to be there where God says, Russell, you are so foolish and you continue along this path that I'm going to give you up to your own thinking. Romans 1 28 says it this way and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they so that they do what is not right dangerous the people of God did not want to worship God, and the people did not want to worship God as God so the text says in Romans that he gave them up to their own thinking to do what is not right Romans 1 is tough it's tough God giving the people up and Jesus here with the, with, the, with the Pharisees saying, you know what? I'm good. We're going. We're leaving. Leaving them to their own devices, their own way of thinking. But that's not the end of the story, y'all, because if you look at all the scripture, we see that God is very patient with people. He is very patient. Second Peter 3, 9 says it this way. The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God wants a relationship with us. Even for the person who we see is very far from God. The person who says, I don't want nothing to do with God. God could draw that person to himself because God does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He wants a relationship. I read this week about a pastor who had a sister in the church who struggled controlling her weight. And she would try all kind of diets and, um, and she would die, she would lose all the weight, but then she would pick it all back up and more. It was just an up and down thing, so much so that she's embarrassed and she's struggling. And, and, but there was a, a season where she kind of left the church. But then when she showed back up, the pastor saw her and virtually all the weight that she had on her was gone. And the pastor was like, hey, what's going on? And you look, you look wonderful. And, 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 and let me know what, what, what happened. How, did you, how were you able to do this? And she informed the pastor that she met a man and fell in love. She knew that this man that she was dating was the man that she was going to marry. 
and she wanted to fit into a wedding dress. The solution to her problem wasn't rules-based, eating less, being on this diet. She was able to conquer what plagued her because she developed a relationship and was seeking his pleasure. It was all about intimacy or relationship. My friends, the Pharisees didn't want a relationship with Jesus. They didn't want one with Jesus. They just wanted to discredit him. They didn't want a relationship because they couldn't see what he was doing. They couldn't see that Jesus was bringing a kingdom that was different from the kingdoms that they had known. This is the kingdom of God, not simply an earthly kingdom. They, they couldn't understand it. And I, I think you and I are the same way. When we, we see things and we don't understand it, we begin to question it. It's like, God, well, what are you doing here? I, I don't know if you guys are doing this, but I certainly am in this season of COVID variants going up. We still see people dying. We still see different things happening in the world. God, why is this happening? We see in California wildfires, even overseas. We see all of this stuff happening, and I'm saying, God, why is all of this, this happening? I don't understand it. Not just out there, but even in my own family, in my own household. God, these things are happening. What's going on? I don't have an answer for it. God, could you just give me an answer? Could you just let me know what to do? I want to I wanna honor you in this. It's, it's like a person who would hang out with an architect. I'm not an architect. I know we got some beastie architects in this area because we got some, we got some facilities in the triangle that blows my mind, right? But if you're with an architect and you stand on some clear land, it's just dirt. The architect come up that mug and just thinking like, yeah, man, we're going to put a house right here. The plumbing is going to be right here. Yeah, man, we're going to have a pool right here. Man, the kitchen will be here. This amount of space. And I'm sitting there like, what? No, I don't see nothing but dirt. But you see it. The architect can see it all. Even though it's not physically there, but he knows what's going to be there because he created a plan for it. Where I don't see it, I'm, I'm at a loss. I feel like that's what God, God is doing. Well, as a matter of fact, I know it. That's what he's doing. He's doing some things that we can't see. But we have the blueprint here that he is working from. The Bible says he's working all things out after the counsel of his will. The Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about what heaven would look like, but we do know it's going to be something glorious. Jesus said that I'm going away to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many rooms. The old, uh, I think the King Jimmy version says many mansions. He's doing something, he's building something, but we can't see it. In this interim, we are waiting. But what do we do while we wait? We're not called to be hostile to what he's doing. Again, it requires faith to follow Jesus. We're called to walk in faith, trusting that even though life may be difficult and hard for me, God, you're working something out. And I know the end of this, no matter the difficult things that have taken place in my life, the things that are confusing me, in that day I can look back and say that was good for me. Because then I would see as he sees. I would understand because I'll be with Jesus. But the Pharisees didn't want a relationship with him. They, they, they rejected him. 
they didn't place faith in him. And, but the disciples had a problem too. Therefore, that leads us to our second point that I want us to see that those in Christ should be distinguishable from those who don't believe. Verses 16 to 18. The text says, they were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. Aware of this, he said to them, why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember? This section here, it combines the motifs or the themes of literal bread and metaphorical leaven with the disciples' blindness and lack of comprehension. The disciples failed to grasp the significance of Jesus and his mission. Just like the Pharisees, they failed to grasp. However, for them, there was no excuse for their inability to comprehend. Why? Because they had been walking with Jesus every day. If, you, if this is your first time here, those who have been worshiping with us, you continue to hear me say that in these scenes of scripture, where we see Jesus working and it says nothing about the disciples, we must know that the disciples were right there. The disciples were right there. The disciples didn't go off when Jesus got done teaching them and said, well, we're going to go home and chill. No, when they followed Jesus, they were with him 24-7. They saw all that he did. So they should have gotten it. Verse 14 informs us that the disciples forgot to take bread with them on the boat after they had the scene with the Pharisees. Man, they forgot the eats. They forgot the bread. You know how it is, man, especially when you're hungry, you've been doing work, man. Sometimes you can get so hungry that you ain't thinking about nothing else. I just need to go find me something to eat. Okay, my bad. I'm the only one that's hungry right now. The Bible says they only had one loaf in the boat. This one loaf was not enough for all of them. It was not enough. And so they are thinking about this. And so Jesus now... I see him on the boat in my mind's eye, and he is contemplating the interaction that he just had with the Pharisees. This interaction, which prompted him to say to the disciples, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Jesus wanted his disciples to be careful. Be careful in their interaction with the Pharisees and with Herod and his people because of what they taught. They were a real threat to Jesus' life as well as the disciples' life. But why would Jesus mention leaven? Why would he mention leaven? He's using it symbolically. And he's using it to express, just like leaven, the Pharisees and Herod, their teaching permeates. It spreads just like leaven in whatever it's in. And their teaching wasn't right. But when the disciples heard this, they only thought about physical bread. Now, they only heard the word leaven. They totally missed that Jesus mentioned Pharisees and heaven. They were just stuck on leaven. And so this made me think of this. How easy it is for us to miss the point. How easy it is to miss the point. Like people talking to us and we have selective hearing. And we hear what we want to hear. Again, I, I just, just talking about this cultural moment, I mentioned CRT, that uh, people are hung up on this, this theory of, of, of critical race theory, and, and we're not asking questions. We just talk about, oh, that's this and that's that. 
But do we boil, do we get behind it and ask, what, what, what are they really talking about as well? Like, so now we get to talking about systemic issues in this country. Like, we don't want to, we just want to pigeonhole people. I don't care what side that we're on. It could be conservative or, or liberal, but we start pigeonholing people and listening to selective listening to what they're saying and just want to poke holes in what they're saying, but really not entering into the space of relationship to see what's going on. The disciples, all they heard was leaven. They totally missed the point. They just focused on what was physical and focusing on the physical, they totally missed what God was doing. And so what did Jesus do? He knew what they were discussing, so he rebuked the disciples with a series of rhetorical questions. And all of the questions pointed to the fact that they failed to understand Jesus and his mission. So this is what Jesus said. He says, why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Do you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember? Remembering, remembering together with understanding, comprehending, seeing and hearing is essential, is an essential process of enlightenment. To fail to understand and comprehend shows a lack of spiritual awareness. That's what we see with the disciples. So when reading the Gospels, again, we see that the, understand the, that the disciples were with Jesus all the time. And they heard him teach. They saw him heal. They, they saw how Jesus moved. And, and then Jesus asked them other questions, pointed questions that they had just experienced. He asked them about the feeding of the 5,000. Don't you remember? He asked them about the feeding of the 4,000. Jesus took a minimal amount of food and fed thousands of people. The Bible says nothing is too hard for God. He can take my crumbs, the crumbs that fall from the master's table and make a feast. But the disciples missed it. They missed it. Their heart, they, they, they had hard hearts and blind eyes. They were no better than the crowds who would profit from Jesus' miracles without reflection and those who would see his teaching without applying it to themselves. They were no better. My friends, it's not enough for us to come to Jesus to know what he has said. Reading scripture, which, which is great. Now, I'm not saying don't read the text. Be in the book. We need to be in a book, but it's not enough to be able to win Bible trivia. We, if you know all of the verses and yet don't apply those verses to your life, what good is it? What good is it? If we're not applying these things, because again, I think about this, I, I, I'm so thankful that we get to corporately gather. Every Sunday, God has been so good to us to allow us to do this. But I feel like in our day, we have a group of local assemblies where people sit in there and they are spiritually fat. We come together and we eat on God's word and we keep it for ourselves instead of going out and obeying what the text has said. Our goal is not to become spiritually fat. 
Our goal is to shine as lights and represent the Lord Jesus in the earth while we are here. Asking, after asking these rhetorical questions, Jesus pointed the disciples to these feeding miracles. And when they answered, they took no time answering the question. They knew directly what it was. They knew about the 12 loaves that were left over and the seven. They knew the facts, but knowing the facts was not enough. They didn't understand the significance of those facts. And so for the disciples, Mark's audience, and us, the question we must ask ourselves is, what does Jesus' work point to? What do his works point to? The feeding miracles, they point to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and Lord, that he is God. And they missed it. God was with them. But the beauty of this, if you continue to read the Gospel of Mark, which we will continue to go through, Jesus didn't wipe his hands with the disciples. He continued to spend time with them. He continued to, 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 to open their eyes. And the reason we know they got it, because once Jesus was raised from the dead, everything for them changed. Everything for them changed. And they went out, and again, I continue to mention this, and I don't ever want to stop mentioning it. You and I are here today because of the faithfulness of those 12. We are here, we are sitting here today because of their faithfulness them in relationship with the Lord. Two men were climbing a mountain. And as they were climbing this mountain, they had two guides. They had a guide in the front and a guide in the back. And as they were climbing this icy mountain, this rugged terrain, the, 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 the guide in the back, he slipped. But all of them were connected with ropes, but he slipped. And when he slipped, he fell off the edge of the cliff. And when he fell, it caused the two in the middle, the two men who were wanting to climb, caused them to fall as well. But the, the guide in the front took, his, took a spike and dug it into the ice and held on. He, he dug it into the ice, his axe. And when he, when he dug his, his axe into the ice, it allowed the two men that were in the middle to climb back up and get in line. But not just those two men. It allowed the guide in the back to get back in line. All of this was made possible because the guide in the front did not let go. What he did saved all of the men. In the Garden of Eden, Adam slipped. He slipped and he fell. And we were all hooked to him by nature. We were all hooked to him. And, and, and when Adam died, we all died. When he slipped and fell, we slipped and fell with him. We were all hanging over the edge. We were doomed. Looking at death, looking at this eternal abyss where we would be forever separated from the Father. But there was somebody else on that rope. He was born of a virgin. 
He was a human just like you and I. He lived the perfect life. He did everything according to the will of God. He dug in. He died. He died on that cross and rose from the dead. Because he dug in, all in Adam who was slipping and heading to that eternal abyss are able to climb back up, attached to this last Adam who paid the price. The Pharisees missed it. They missed it. They fell off the edge, not even desiring to stay connected. The disciples, even though they had difficulty comprehending, they still wanted to follow. Jesus, in leading, just like for them, for you and I, he went to the cross for us. He died for us. I want you to picture that moment on the cross where he's crying out to his father, Father, why, why have you forsaken me? And I want you to remember, think of this, you and I deserve to be on that cross. That was us, he took our place. He's our substitute. And even when we don't get it, when we don't comprehend, he is not writing us off. He is still calling us to follow him. He is still calling us to follow him. We don't have to lose heart because he loves us. I pray that we would not be like the Pharisees asking for signs, asking for him to prove itself, but that we would follow Jesus by faith. Why? because it takes faith to follow Jesus. It's no other way. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you even show us the hard things of scripture. When people just don't get it. Because truthfully, Lord, we are a lot like the Pharisees and a lot like the disciples when they didn't understand. But I thank you, Jesus, that you have called the people to yourself. Not because we have done something so good, but because you did it all on that cross, dying for us. And so, Lord, help us to not just be hearers, but also doers. That we would ask ourselves, so what do we do with this text? What do we do with this text? For certain, Lord, I think that we'd have to, we, we need to be people who get into your word and study more to understand what you're doing, but also in how we engage others. Help us for the rest of this day, and if you give us another day on tomorrow, Lord, help us to live in a way that honors you. We do love you and thank you. It's in Christ's name we do ask this. Amen.